Hello and welcome to a new series of podcasts here on Accented Philosophy. You will have noticed that we began the second season of Accented Philosophy last week with an episode on quietly quitting work. If you missed that, you might want to go back and listen to it. One thing that will change this year is that we cannot afford anymore to do weekly episodes with the two of us. It just takes too much time off our other activities to coordinate, research, record and edit a podcast every week. This is why the discussions between Ezekiel and me will from now on come out once a month. But we thought that it would be nice if we could find some way to give you a bit of philosophy content in between these long discussion episodes every month. So today and every Tuesday, either me or Ezekiel will bring you a shorter episode where one of us discusses a particular topic related to philosophy and how it applies to everyday life. And once a month, we will still bring you the usual discussion between Ezekiel and me. I will mark these clearly in the title. These extra episodes will be called Lunchtime Philosophy, so that you can locate each type of episode easily in your player, in case you like to listen only to the one or to the other kind. By the way, if you like Accented Philosophy, you may want to check out the Daily Philosophy website. This is daily-philosophy.com. There, you will find hundreds of original articles about all areas of philosophy and their power to change human lives, as well as regular guest posts and interviews with important scholars and writers. So today we begin with a question that we get asked a lot, and that is also the title of one of the most read articles on the Daily Philosophy website. And the question is, what is philosophy? And particularly, what is philosophy in simple words? So let's begin. Philosophy sounds like a daunting topic to many, something incredibly complex and boring. But in its most basic form, it is very close to what we all did as children, which is to ask questions about the world. Philosophy, we could say, is a field of study that attempts to answer questions that cannot be answered by providing some fact, but that require a deeper understanding of the question itself. For example, what is the meaning of beauty? This would be the area of aesthetics in philosophy. Which actions do we consider to be right or wrong? This is ethics. How can we make correct arguments and avoid mistakes in thinking? This is critical thinking. What does it mean to really know something? This is epistemology. What is science and what is the proper way to do science? This would be the philosophy of science. What is the ultimate nature of things? This is the area of metaphysics. And what is a good state or government? This is the area of political philosophy. Because of this focus that philosophy puts on the questions instead of the answers, it has sometimes been labelled the study of asking the right questions. 
This is particularly important because we sometimes tend to ask questions that cannot be answered because the question itself is asked in the wrong way. For example, does God exist? This question cannot be answered like that. We first would have to clarify what existing means for a being like God. We can see and touch physical, material things, but not everything exists in the same way as a bottle or a table. For example, numbers. The number 42 certainly exists, but where is it? I cannot point at anything in the material world that is the number 42. Or think of that idea for a poem that I had yesterday. Certainly, in some way, my idea exists. I can remember it, I can recite the poem. But where is the idea? Is my idea lying on the table over there? No. Numbers, ideas and many other things exist in a different way from material objects. But they certainly do exist in a real way. Christianity, another example, exists true, but I cannot locate it. I can locate individual Christians, but I can never locate Christianity as a whole. You know, and this is true of all these abstract concepts. To give another example, think of the government of Germany. Even this very real thing, I cannot locate or point at it is not a particular building. The government offices can move to another place or they may even be entirely destroyed, say in an earthquake, without destroying the government itself. The government is also not the people. The people that make up the government change all the time, but the government stays the same government. If I owe a thousand dollars to the government in taxes, then I owe the same thousand dollars to the same government, even if all the politicians have changed after an election. This is why a philosopher would not accept the question, does God exist, without further clarifications. If we think about the way different kinds of things exist long enough, we will end up with a much more complex question, but perhaps one that has a better chance of actually being answered. Apart from these core questions of philosophy, there are many areas of study that are usually called philosophy of something and that inquire deeper into some subject than normal science would, by applying the methods of philosophical questioning to this particular subject. For example, the philosophy of happiness asks what the concept of happiness really means, what are the conditions for happiness, what it means to be truly happy as opposed to superficially happy, what the relationship is, between the political organization of a society and the happiness of its citizens, how economic systems like capitalism or different religions affect human happiness, how happiness relates to morality, to moral behavior, and so on. The philosophy of love 
examines what love means and how it is different from friendship or charity, whether love is exclusive or whether we can love multiple people at the same time, how the love of parents or siblings is different from erotic love, whether we can love a country or an animal, whether animals can love us back, what the relationship is between love and sexuality, how love's understanding and practices have changed over the centuries, and whether love is the same all over the world or different in different societies, and how social or technological developments affect love. Think, for example, of online sex or prostitution, sex with robots, love towards AI systems. A philosophy of cinema is another example. This might ask, what makes a movie a movie? Why we want to watch movies that make us feel sad or frightened? How our perception of reality in a movie is different from actual reality? For example, how years of time can be compressed in a movie to two hours or even sometimes to a few minutes and still feel like years to the audience and whether violence in movies is acceptable or whether it contributes to violence in society. Similarly, there is the philosophy of cities, dealing with questions like what is a city, how do cities change the lives and the perception of the citizens who live inside them, what is a good city, how can we create better cities that enable citizens to have better lives, and so on. Recently, a philosophy of space exploration has become more and more important. This might ask, to whom does space belong? Who should have access to resources in space? How does space travel affect our views of life? What is the connection between space travel and religion? Is it theoretically possible that we might fly faster than light or travel through time? And... If we discovered life on other worlds, how would we recognize it, how would we communicate with it, and which moral duties would we have towards alien life? There is almost no limit to the philosophy of sub-disciplines. There is philosophy of religion, philosophy of history, philosophy of music, philosophy of culture, philosophy of transport, philosophy of technology, philosophy of education, philosophy of fashion philosophy of food, and countless others. Now, where does this word philosophy actually come from? The word philosophy comes from ancient Greek. Philos means friend or lover, and Sophia means wisdom. Philosophy, therefore, means the love of wisdom or loving wisdom. Let me give you an example of how philosophers think. Let's just look at a pen, a very common, normal, single-use plastic pen. If you look at it with your everyday eyes, you'll say, this is a pen and that's it. It's something we can use to write. But there is much more to this pen. The philosopher would not stop there. They would begin asking more questions of the pen. First, what does it mean to say that a pen is used for writing? What if I use it for something else? Let's say I take the pen, remove the cap and use it to stab someone. Is it then still a pen or has it become a weapon? Perhaps it's now both a pen and a weapon. Is it wrong to use a pen as a weapon? 
I can take out the inside bit with the ink and then I'm left with a clear plastic tube like a thick straw. I can use that to drink something. Is it wrong to use a pen as a straw or, or has it perhaps even become a straw now? Has it ceased being a pen? Is there a difference whether I use it as a weapon or as a straw? And if I kill someone with my pen, which now is a weapon, is this then, at least in part, also the responsibility of the pen's manufacturer? Would the manufacturer have to justify their decision to make pens that can be used as weapons? But then, of course, cannot everything be used as a weapon? You see, we are getting here into questions of responsibility, liability and ethics. And also questions of definition. If things fall into multiple categories, is there a primary category? And how do I determine which one it is? But the pen has more to tell us. When I've used it up, I will have to throw the pen away. There is little I can do with a pen like this after it's out of ink. The pen will end up in a landfill and eventually pollute the environment. It will decompose into microplastic particles, which will enter the water cycle and end up in someone's glass of water years later. This might be dangerous and cause cancer in that person who thinks they are drinking water, but in reality they are also drinking parts of my discarded pen. What are we to make of this? Should the government ban such single-use pens? Does the government have a duty to protect me and others from the consequences of using and then throwing away such single-use plastic objects? Or should I be free to make my own choices? Here then we go into the role of the state in relation to free enterprise and a consumer society. How much power should the state have to regulate our lives? Can it force us to abandon something convenient like a single-use pen for the greater benefit of all in the long run? These are vital questions that are just now at the center of debates about global warming. So looking at this pen has brought us to environmental and political philosophy, to questions of state regulation and freedom and many more such topics. We could also see the pen as a technology, as part of a bigger system of things that need to work together in order to give meaning to the pen. A pen alone is of little use. A single pen in the jungle would not benefit as much. A pen requires paper to work. Paper and pen must be produced in factories, they must be distributed and all this must be paid for. They require a reliable infrastructure that provides roads, power, safety, a commercial environment in which the pen can be sold and many other things. So we get into all sorts of economic questions about the pen and also into issues of geopolitical power structures. This pen is made of plastic and plastic is made of oil. Few countries have commercially viable oil and this has led throughout the 20th century to the enormous rise in power of the Middle East. Suddenly, a whole part of the world that would otherwise be just desert is elevated into a key political player 
that can dictate worldwide policies. This raises questions of international cooperation and ethical duties towards other societies, questions of colonialism and international justice. But this pen is also a capitalist pen. It cannot be made by happy farmers in a pre-industrial agrarian society. It needs a factory that can process plastics, and this is only available in what we call developed economies. Often these economies concentrate the money in the hands of few. In this case, all the people who use pens are going to pay for them, but all that money is flowing into one direction and towards a small number of people only, those who own the factory. So right there you have a question of power within society, of power struggle, of wealth and poverty, of factory workers and factory bosses, of alienation, Marxism and the dream of a better society. But you could also look at the pen in a more personal way as part of someone's self-definition as a particular kind of person. Some professions depend on pens more than others and wearing a pen in one's shirt pocket is a message to one's surroundings, a statement that the wearer of the pen is a particular kind of person, an intellectual, an office worker or a teacher. So the pen, like any artifact, has a role to play in defining the kind of person who uses it. And so now we are at Heidegger's ideas on how human beings realize their being through their choice of tools. If you think about it, a teacher is not necessarily someone who has a particular education to be a teacher. The education might be necessary in some countries, but it's not what really makes or defines a teacher. Someone in a less developed part of the world might be an actual teacher without having a formal education as a teacher. They would still be a teacher if they actually teach, while a teacher with an education, with a diploma as a teacher, but who is out of a teaching job and now driving a bus. He would not be considered a teacher, but a bus driver. So actually having and using this pen in a teaching context is what would help define a teacher as a teacher. This pen then becomes part of the self-description and the realization of a particular human role. So you see now how much there is to talk about when we just look at something as common and unremarkable as a cheap plastic pen. And we could go on forever, for much longer, examining the way the pen looks, and then we would be talking about aesthetics, or the pen's contribution to society's traditions and rituals. This would be perhaps something like Confucian ethics. And the power structures that steer society towards needing pens, which would perhaps be the philosophy of technology. The pen's contribution to one's happiness or unhappiness. This is something Epicurus and Epicureanism would talk about. The pen's purpose inside the whole of society and inside the universe. You could say the pen has a function in the whole of the universe. Then we're talking about Aristotle, perhaps, and the natural law theory, and much more. But we will for now stop here. 
I would be very interested to hear what your take on the question is, whether you are a professional philosopher or just occasionally interested in philosophy. What is philosophy for you? What makes it different from other areas of knowledge? We have an email address in this podcast. It is podcast at daily-philosophy.com and you can write to this address and I will collect all these emails and then in the next episode I will try to answer them for you. So if you have any questions or any comments or you want to add something to the episode, please feel free to write me at podcast at daily-philosophy.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Bye-bye.